Today, Joel DeHart will tell us about his experience serving God in Afghanistan, where he was kidnapped by a warlord and spent six months in captivity. I'm your host, Paul Horrocks, and this is the Biblical Courage Podcast. The Biblical Courage Podcast is supported by listeners. Visit biblicalcourage.com to learn more or sign up for our newsletter. I'm here with Joel DeHart. He and his wife, Margaret, work with InterServe in Canada. Joel was born in Pakistan, where his parents were missionaries. He returned to Pakistan to work in Afghan refugee camps, which led to teaching English. And in 1991, while Joel was translating for a veterinarian in Afghanistan as part of an animal health project, both he and the veterinarian were kidnapped by an Afghan warlord. I think you'll all really relate to his story because, let's be honest, who among us has not been kidnapped by an Afghan warlord? So, Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, I want to start out and just ask you, just give us a high level of your current ministry in uh, Woodstock, Ontario. Well, my wife and I um, had been working in Pakistan and then Afghanistan, but we returned in 2015. And near here, we were working with a, uh, a Christian media ministry. Uh, but currently we are seeking to work with some diaspora, meaning there are people from all over the world uh, in Canadian cities. And Margaret does some English teaching online. I'm editing um, a dictionary for Dedi, the one of the languages in Afghanistan, and also part of a local fellowship for Farsi speakers. Wow, terrific. One of the things we like to do with the Biblical Courage podcast is have you give a short overview of your upbringing and tell us how you became a Christian. Yeah, it's always good to hear people's stories. And my story was that uh, some of the first things I remember were uh, Jesus and the gospel. So from a very early age, I and it was also quite obvious to me that I was a sinner and needed some help. So very early on, I asked Jesus to come into my life. And there are lots of stepping stones after that, things that different things that happened. But as I grew up, I remember in ninth grade, some people came to our school in Pakistan and they were strangely excited about the Bible and Jesus. So we, we went to their home and we would sing and they would talk and it just kind of was infectious. And I began to read the Bible with interest. And I think that was an important point in my life in ninth grade. And then of course, uh, high school in a year in New Jersey, um, we had, I was part of a group of different Christians and they would encourage us. Uh, Paul, maybe you've heard of high BA. Yes. But I remember that. Encourage us to um, share with people in our high schools. And that was a, a faith building time for me. So it was like all of us, we have a long story, but God is there at every turn. And so you, um, you went to school a little bit in the U.S., uh, but mostly back in Pakistan. Yes. And then what made you decide uh, as an adult to continue in missions, to continue the work of your parents? Well, as I was considering where to go to school after 
graduating from high school in Pakistan, I thought about how to invest my life. And I knew that um, the Bible was important and I would like to uh, make that kind of a basis for whatever career I had. So I went to a Bible school and it was there that uh, I was challenged not just to think that, okay, I'm going back to comfort zone where I grew up, but I was challenged that God had given me a certain background for a reason. And it made sense to head in a direction where, where fewer people knew about Jesus and knew about the gospel. So then I decided, I set the trajectory, as it were, to head back to Pakistan, um, whatever way I could. And so the original plan was to actually do missions specifically in Pakistan. Originally, I thought about different things like medicine and forest ranger, but it was at, at the Bible school where I, I decided to head towards missions work. Th- those are very different paths, forest ranger versus medicine. <laughs> Yeah. So you have very diverse interests. That's true. So I want to talk about your experience as a captive in Afghanistan. And so let's start with, you know, what were you doing in Afghanistan? And I, I think for most people, uh, when they think of Afghanistan, obviously post 9-11, they, they think of it as this war-torn country and, and some of the things going on. But this is pre-9-11 when you were uh, doing this work over there. Yeah, just... Um a little history for background. It was 1979 when the Russians um, kind of entered Afghanistan and many refugees fled. So I finished some studies at the University of Pennsylvania and I was back in Pakistan at the time when refugees had newly were newly arriving. And it seemed to me like uh, an opportunity and I remember as a, as a kid, I'd always been interested in Afghanistan, in the, the language of Afghanistan. So I, um, what was your question again? So just, I wanted to just get a little background. How did you end up in Afghanistan? So you're, you're doing uh, missions work in Pakistan and what yeah. transpired that you ended up basically coming over to Afghanistan? Okay, that's an easy answer because working with um, Afghan refugees in Pakistan, I had the opportunity to learn the languages. There are two main languages in Afghanistan and make connections. And I, th- I think I would say God just put an interest in my heart from, from early on to of the people of Afghanistan. And so when I was offered this chance to go with a veterinarian and be a translator. It just seemed to fit right in. My parents were in Pakistan at the time. They agreed, and we decided to take the step of faith. And was this your first time visiting Afghanistan when you went in with this veterinarian? No, I'd actually been twice before because um, traveling back from Pakistan to the States, uh, one time when I was young, Afghanistan was just a stop on the way. And then later on with my brother, we were traveling by bus and train and we went through Afghanistan. Okay. So you were there with this veterinarian and the both of you were trying to help people. In other words, uh, you know, tell us what he's trying to do in order to serve the people of Afghanistan. Um, Afghanistan is a very needy country. And we, we thought that 
through um, helping people with their animals that we could um, enable them to have a, a better uh, standard of living. And uh, Dr. Bill, who was the veterinarian, he very quickly identified some key issues with the animals that uh, low, low phosphorus and um, some certain diseases. So we were doing vaccinating. We were also uh, talking to the people about what the animals needed to eat for their diet. And we had planned to leave a team there who would continue the work on a, uh, a team of five or six who would do animal health and, and travel around from village to village. So you're basically trying to help folks economically just keep their animals healthy so that they can continue to have a way to uh, basically live uh, with That's these animals. Right. Okay. Uh, and so at some point, uh, a warlord comes and, and kidnaps you and, and uh, Dr. Bill. What was the goal of this warlord? Why would someone look at the two of you who were helping people and decide, hey, uh, I, I want to kidnap them? And, and was this a ransom situation? Or you know, why, why was this warlord interested in doing that? In the history of Afghanistan, like places like Colombia and South America, the kidnapping has a very long and rich history. And for local people, it makes a lot of sense. It, the basic motivation is money. So we have some people and we, we can support whatever effort we're doing through, through ransom payments. So that was the basic motivation for our capture. It seems like missionaries are not the places to look for ransom payments. You need to be going after... Um, you know, rich kids rather than missionary kids. Well, uh, in Afghanistan, people don't know much about the difference between a missionary or a relief worker, or especially at that time, that was before the uh, American presence in the country. So they just see a, a Westerner means big bucks. Okay. So that's what they're thinking. So where did they take you after you were kidnapped? What happened? Well, we were... It was one of our last days, and as soon as they told us, got out their weapons and stuff and said, get in the Jeep, they drove off. And we, at first, had no idea where we were. Uh, thankfully, we weren't blindfolded, but we just drove for several hours in the Jeep over very rough terrain. And later, we realized that we had come to an area where this, this particular commander uh, it was his home area, so he had lots of support there. And we were kind of transferred. We were would be in one place for a few days, another place for a few days, the idea being that people wouldn't know where we were. Okay. And so just describe a little bit of the conditions in which you were held. I mean, did you have access to a bed or did you have access to indoor plumbing? What was it like, these places where they were holding you? Well, um, it, it's basic Afghan life. And for Dr. Bill, who was not so used to uh, life in that part of the world, it, it was a challenge. But for me, it was, I mean, yeah, we slept like they did. Uh, we didn't have indoor plumbing, but that didn't exist except in the cities anyway. But we were treated um, pretty well. I mean, whatever they ate, they would give to us. And... So it was a, a basic living situation, but uh, 
very manageable. So they didn't have you in a prison per se. It was really just they would stick you with a family and, and say, hey, you have to take care of this person. Well, things changed. Like the first two or three weeks, we were very restricted and kind of locked in a room. And then after that time, that was when uh, Dr. Bill was taken by another commander and I was with the original commander. So we were separated. And then at that point, we began getting a little more freedom. I think they realized, where could we go? We couldn't run away. And, and there was no way, I mean, you didn't really know where you were or there was just no way, you can't, there's no, no buses to grab and, and get out of town, I guess. <laughs> exactly. And who do you trust? Who do you go to? So, yeah, very yeah, different. We were, this this area we were in Afghanistan is very remote. So if we were to try and leave the country, we'd have to go hundreds of miles and through different territory. We, of course, we had no money or nothing because they'd taken everything. So one of the things that blew me away when I read your book is that you were trying to share the gospel with some of your kidnappers. And I just, as I was reading this, I just thought, how did you get past the anger and the fear of being kidnapped and focus on the need for their salvation? That, that was just amazing to me. Well, Paul, that was kind of a, a process. And there were days when I was very angry and days when I wasn't so angry. And I think, um, I think God was changing my heart. I'll just put it that way, that... Um, I, w- I was praying that this commander who seemed in my mind so evil, um, I prayed for a love for him. And actually his brother was the one who became like one of my best friends and supporters there. So um, his brother would, instead of having me eat alone in the room where I was kind of locked in, he said, come on down and eat with us and my family. Wow. So he, they had a new baby. I got to know their kids. And I just became like part of the family rather than um, a captive. And I think that helped me to it, it personalize things so that to them, I wasn't some strange creature. I was just a, a human being missing my family. And then I, they weren't, a, they weren't so, um, eager to hear anything about Jesus, but they were very curious. And I would say most of the people I encountered would never have met a a Christian before. Hmm. There are so few Afghan Christians and then foreigners. So so they would just ask questions like, do you pray? I mean, it's, it's our prayer time now. Now we're saying our prayers. Do you pray? I would say yes, but it's different. So a lot of questions like that. And yes, my heart was, I was praying during that time. God, at least bring one person that I would encounter, one person to know you through this time. And so they were at least interested, uh, or at least curious about what you had to say about Jesus. Okay. Uh, I mean, were they shocked that you were treating them this way or interacting with them this way, given that they had taken away your freedom? Well, interesting question, Paul, and I... I talk almost every week with a friend I have from those days who was one of our trainees and he has since come to know the Lord. And 
almost almost invariably when we talk, he will mention something about he was talking to one of his friends and they made some comment about the time I was there. And although it didn't seem to me like it was impacting people, he said people were surprised and they remember um, just the way I acted. And I think it was God and his spirit. So you, you're hearing about the fruit of it now, although I'm sure in the midst of it, it was not fun to, to think in, in those terms. Yeah, you, that's a good way to put it. So another thing that blew me away is that you were actually trying to help your captors. You would spend time teaching their kids English and would help them with household chores. Uh, again, how were you able to just avoid becoming bitter and actually show love to the people who were taking away your freedom? Well, Paul, there was a little bit of bitterness there as well, <laughs> I, I, must, I must say. And, and like I said before, it was up and down. But for a lot of the things, um, I, I spent hours preparing uh, English sentences and lessons for the soldiers. And it just gave me something to do. Because hmm. I, I had a lot of time on my hands. I mean, my six months was kind of divided half with a family, I was staying with a family, and then half with soldiers. So when I was with the family, there were a group of boys who asked, can we come and learn English? And I said, sure. Everybody called me just teacher. They didn't call me my name, but they said, hey, teacher. So I, they knew I was a teacher. Okay. So why not use that ability? So I helped some soldiers and boys. Were, did any of the students really pick it up quickly? Yes. Yeah, they were good. That's great. So it sounds like they really appreciated the work that you were doing and, and the help that you were giving them. Uh, they didn't necessarily see it as a weakness. They they just uh, took advantage of it. I remember the commander, kind of, he was joking, but one time he said to me, why don't you just stick around here? We can give you lots of English students and you can just stay teaching English. There you go. Uh, the pay is not so good, but uh, I guess it will bring joy to people. So uh, in the book, he talked about spending time in prayer. And just one of the things I thought as I was reading it is just most Christians really struggle to spend time in prayer just in general, even when, when life is going very well. When you were praying, you know, what did you feel? I mean, you're in this circumstance, you're deprived of your freedom and, and you're crying out to God and, and you're not regaining your freedom, at least not quickly. So, you know, what did you feel in those times of prayer? remember um, when I finally got a Bible, I was reading through the Psalms. This was like my last month in captivity. And I identified so much with David's prayers when he said, oh, God, how long? And I'm crying out and you never hear me. And so a lot of my prayer was from desperation. But I think uh, probably you have experienced and many people who are part of this who will be listening have experienced that it's in times of trouble where we prayer takes on a new meaning and we rely on God more and we discover him more in those hard places. So that's, that's what happened. I had so much time on my hands and something else that God used really powerfully in my life was all the songs that I had learned and hymns, they just started coming to mind. And I, Every time I thought of a new one, I would write it down. And pretty soon I was over 700, 800 songs that I 
And then I would spend a couple hours every day just walking back and forth wherever I was allowed and just singing song after song. And that, that refreshed my soul. It, it strengthened me. It was God's truth speaking to me that uh, don't look at just the things as they appear. Uh, God has the upper hand. He's doing something else. Wow. It's amazing how all those songs you learn as a kid, you keep forever. And why it's so important to uh, to teach kids those songs. Yeah, and I think you've probably experienced that too. Yes, I remember all the Sunday school songs as well. Uh, yeah, so many of them, and, and uh, those are the ones you never lose. So when you were praying, did you have a sense that God was listening to you? Was there a comfort in praying, or was there just a, a frustration there that, that you weren't seeing you know, immediate results? Both. Okay. And I, but I remember feeling um, so humbled because something would happen. So many things happened that reminded me that God was right there and he, I was not forgotten. So, I mean, just a thing like one day I was feeling particularly discouraged and shoulders, soldiers were shouting after me, hey, teacher. I thought, I don't even want to turn around. I don't want to, they're bugging me or something. But he had brought eggs from his home as a gift for me. And I just took that, wow, God, you, you gave me a gift here. Uh, and this happened many times where I would just be humbled that I, I thought, you know, I'm really suffering and things are terrible, but God is showing me time after time, different ways that he's taking care of me. Yeah, I remember in the book, you talked about uh, getting nail clippers, right? When you needed them. And uh, I think about, oh, something we take for granted, just that it's so easy. Walk into a a drugstore and grab a pair of nail clippers. And yet for you, in that moment, it was uh, just really helpful. And as the weather started getting colder, because we were were taken in, I think it was July, and then it was getting, it was released in January. So towards November... It gets really cold in central the central highlands of Afghanistan. And I didn't have a coat. I just had a, a sweater and I would be wearing everything I had. And then somebody came and gave me a, a down jacket. And it was just the right size and just a gift. So I knew I knew God was taking care of me. That's amazing. So in the midst of this, were there times when you thought, I'm never going to be released, or, or even worse, that they may just kill me and, and get rid of this uh, you know, um, evidence that they've kidnapped me? Well, the timing was, was tough because uh, sometimes it, it seemed like, well, maybe tomorrow or maybe next week or maybe next month. And then when the whole thing started, I thought, well okay, it's been 48 hours. That should give them enough time to, to sort things out and get me back home. But time just kept going on and on and on. I never, just a couple times that I felt like my life might be in danger because of threats. But I, I think pretty much I knew, Paul, that they, that wasn't their intention. They were after the money and if they had a dead hostage, he wouldn't be worth as much as a live one. Okay. Uh, which doesn't mean they can't beat you up a little bit, right? So yeah. you still yeah. have the, the fear of that. 
so eventually you were released. And so I think you said you were in captivity for about six months. Yeah. What transpired that you were eventually released? Um, most of that's unknown. But the people that had sent us on this mission, uh, Dr. Bill and myself um, for the Animal Health Project, they had been working, I, I would say, like 24 hours a day, just negotiating, going to the American embassy, talking with people who were working in different organizations and trying any way they could to get information, to negotiate. Um, we know that they didn't pay money, but we know that when I was released, um, I, I talked to one of the soldiers who had been holding me and he says, oh, when you were released, we all got a big bonus. Okay. So who knows where, what happened, but we know that it was getting to the place where for the commander, having me was more of a liability because he, he was being threatened and people were telling him, you are the reason why aid has been stopped to our region. Ah. And just get rid of this American hostage. Just, so who knows? I mean, so many people were praying. So the people don't really know what happened behind the scenes. But the people of Afghanistan were appreciative of the work that you were doing and not just you, but other folks were doing. And so they were putting pressure on the commander potentially. That's true. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like today where a few people with power are, are making things rough for other people, but the, the common person, like they, they would talk to me. I mean, I would spend hours talking with people and they would say, well, we, we really wish you were back home. We're, we don't agree with what's going on and this commander and all that, but it, it's just the way it is. So the love of Jesus did get through to, uh, to the majority of the people, but just the commanders had their own agenda. Yeah, and, and I know that and God was working in the commander's life too. So, so uh, and, and, and Dr. Bill was released, I think, prior to your release, if I remember That's correctly. Right. Yes. Okay, so... Yeah. Ultimately, he was released as well. Uh, did he ever go back to Afghanistan? No, but he he had a very special place in his heart for the country. Mm -hmm. But his wife and family would never let him <laughs> go back for whatever reason. <laughs> but I must say that when he was released, he was in very poor health. Oh. So he had he had suffered a lot, and yeah. Um, it, it was just God's grace that he got out when he did. I, I would think his uh, wife and family wouldn't let him leave the house after that experience. <laughs> just stay home. Uh, and so what advice do you have for people who aspire to be missionaries in places that are hostile to Christianity? Well, we follow Jesus, and Jesus doesn't promise comfort and uh, safety is, is the highest priority, right? Yeah. So it's not about, uh, is it safe enough? Of course, we have to be practical and reasonable. And I know a lot of mission organizations like our own, uh, they're very careful about putting people in, in dangerous spots. But yet, that's not the, the bottom line. It's, it, it's just... Uh, following Jesus' orders, and uh, at certain times, I mean, even here in the, in the West, um, 
everything is not safe all the time, as you know. That's true. There's parts of our country that uh, yeah, are very, not just hostile to Christianity, but just uh, very violent. And so um, that's true. You can do ministry here and, and, and be in harm's way as well. So the book is called The Upper Hand, God's Sovereignty in Afghan Captivity. Uh, where can people find the book? Uh, Amazon. Okay. So they can find it on Amazon? Yeah. It's, it's out of print, so any copy you can get would be, you know, secondhand. Okay. Well, it's a great read. I read through it, and uh, I, I read through it very quickly because it's just such an uh, engaging story and amazing um, what you went through, but also just how you endured it uh, with, with love for Jesus and love for these people who had kidnapped you. Well, Paul, I'll just say that um, it was a great privilege to be able to see uh, Afghan life, village life, up close and personal. So I learned so much from my time there. And my since then, when Margaret and I went back to work in the country for 10 years, I have a connection that God has given me, especially with Afghan people, especially with rural people, because I know what life is like. I, I've experienced some of the hardships, some of, uh, and I think this is a gift that God has given me that I will be able to use even in the future. Amazing. Well, the last question I want to ask is just how can people support your current ministry? We would like you to pray for Afghan refugees. We plan to go to Greece to work with um, a refugee center there in Athens. And after Syrian refugees, Afghans are the largest group there. Uh, why are there so many refugees in Turkey and um, leaving Afghanistan? It's just the situation in Afghanistan is, is tough economically, um, security-wise, and for many reasons. And so far, not a lot of people have put two and two together to figure out that all this um, insecurity and stuff is um, is partly because of uh, a broken country and um, the, the spiritual needs of the country. But yet, um, God is working in... So when you ask about support, we would like you to pray for one of our colleagues who is an Afghan working in Athens. And he is, he came to know the Lord in Afghanistan, but he's working now to share his faith with Afghans in diaspora. So please pray for uh, us as we head off again, hopefully, and for our friend Solomon, who's working there in Athens. And is there a website where people can go to learn more about your ministry or uh, get updates from you? Yeah, we would suggest um, our organization is called InterServe. So there's an InterServe office in uh, Upper, Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. There's one in, in Toronto. Um, but that's the organization we're with. And if, if you contact InterServe, then you could get a hold of us and be in touch. We always need financial donations too. Okay, so people can go to InterServe, just Google InterServe and uh, look for your ministry. You got it. Terrific. 
Well, Joel, thank you so much for taking time to share your story. Thank you for just your amazing example of um, just courage in the face of a really, really difficult circumstance. Yeah, well, God gives special grace at special times, doesn't he? Yes, absolutely. So, Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Paul. The Biblical Courage Podcast is supported by listeners. You can support us by going to biblicalcourage.com. While you're there, you can also sign up to receive our newsletter. That's biblicalcourage.com. Finally, if you liked the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you did not like the podcast, you do not need to share that information with anyone.